God, I just thank you for everybody here today. I just pray that you give me the words to speak, which you want to say to us today, that our eyes and ears and hearts will be open to you. Um, and hopefully that I don't cause too much pain in the process of uh, my lack of public speaking skills. <laughs> in your name we pray, amen. Okay. So, about six months ago, I felt really, really, just a heavy burden on my heart to say something. I know that God had a message that I had to say. I just didn't really know what. And uh, as Nick said, somehow got past my uncommon wisdom to think out loud in front of some of the senior Destiny staff on how I had, I just felt like God wanted me to preach something. And uh, yeah, next time I will definitely try to ask God for more of specifics before I do that, because about two days after I was thinking out loud, Diani texted me, asking me if I wanted to speak, and I'm all like, yeah, I don't know about what, but I'll figure it out, I guess. <laughs> and so, I mean, a kid, of course. I mean, I think this is exactly what God wanted from us, and, uh, and for me in particular. And I know that it whatever I say with my lack of public speaking skills that God will use it for exactly what he intended for this morning. So what are we talking about this morning? I had quite a few things rattling around in my head and God just kept on bringing me back to the passage in John 10. So if you want to join me, I'm just going to sit, flip over to John 10 and just read a couple verses here. So I'm going to start on verse 7 here. And so Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and, we will go, and, he, will come, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And we're really just going to focus on that last verse here. Um, mainly the last half of that, which is, you know, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Um, we will go over the first half a little bit, but that's the main thing that kind of kept on coming around to me. And as Nick said, you will probably be out of here in 20-ish minutes, way before Sunday Night Football. You can pregame all you want. Um, <laughs> and so... But I do know that, uh, that even though this sermon is going to be a little shorter than normal, again, God will use it for exactly what he wants. And so let's just dive right in here. So in that second half, that, that verse, John 10, 10, like what is Jesus talking about when he talks about life? And I was really thinking about that for a little while. And I think what I kind of came to and what I wanted to push into was the idea of walking in freedom and purpose um, and being more efficient and effective members of the body. And I know you can take a lot of stuff out of that verse, but that's really what, what God, I felt like, was putting on my heart. Now, I don't mean to be a downer, but I definitely am inclined a little bit more towards the cup half empty side of things. I try to balance that out, but, <laughs> but I know that God uses that to solve a lot of problems in my life, and hopefully I can give this uh, insight to you guys. But I don't know about you guys, but to be honest, I don't see a lot of life in abundance as the church as a whole. 
Um, as a young person, I see a lot of, I guess, different aspects of the church, and that's not to condemn anyone here or anything. I'm just telling it how it is. Um, I definitely see individuals who have a lot of life in them, but I've always wondered myself, like, if that's what Jesus came here to accomplish, what, what is holding us back from that? And again, I'm not here condemning anyone or any congregation. It's not my place. I mean, I have a huge laundry list of problems in my life that I could definitely work out and... It's definitely longer than probably everybody else is here, um, except for maybe a couple of you. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so what is holding us back from life and life in abundance? And I think there's a list of things. Just for example, here's a couple. I think that hurt can hold us back. I think fear can hold us back. Pride, guilt, shame, uh, uh, ham and cheddar hot pockets. They're horrible. Like, if you want the opposite of life and abundance, an hour after you eat a ham and cheddar hot pocket is a good example of a lack of abundance of life. <laughs> um, I do believe that all these things are pretty much entangled with each other to some extent. Um, but I really felt like God was trying to talk to some people here about the last two, guilt and shame. Um, since, one is, since where one is, typically the other follows with it. And so I guess the first question I would say is, so why do we feel guilt? That's a pretty basic question. Um, and I believe for most people, it's some cross between feeling accused and believing maybe not directly all the time, but through our actions and how we live our life, that what we, determine, what we do determines our standing with God. That we may actually be able, capable of outperforming the blood of Christ. And that's just so, so not true. And I know that we don't think that, but you know, actions, actions say a lot. And I think that a lot of times we hide stuff behind things so we don't have to truly be confronted by it. Um, and that's you know, when God reveals things to us. And so let's tackle the first part. And let me be very, very clear. And I know that some people have to hear this. God will never, ever accuse you of anything. He will not accuse you. Not at all. And if you think that I'm just pulling that out of thin air, then let's look to some scripture to clear up the subject. So if you want to turn with me to John 5.39 through 37. Now I've read John probably a dozen times at this point, and this has never stuck out to me until it has the past couple weeks. Um, from my deduction, it sounds like Jesus is talking to either the Pharisees or at least a group of well-educated Jews here. And so they definitely know the scripture. So in 39, it says, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek it, seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Now, these last three verses are what I really want to hammer on here. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, I really want us to just sit on that for a second because that is it's pretty heavy stuff there. Um, but as you can see, we are not accused. 
We are definitely not accused. The only thing that is accusing us is Moses. Now, by that, I mean, I believe he is talking about the law. But it's not even as clear as that. Because in verse 46, he says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And in verse 47, he says, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so what I kind of get from that is it's really just the use of the law without anything good behind it, without any belief behind it, without any faith behind it, without realizing what the law is pointing to. Um, in short, it's literalism. It's, it's bad religion. Under the law, we lived under a transactional relationship with God. Sacrifice for forgiveness. What we did dictated our standing with God. But for the law being wholly perfect, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, it's a constant reminder of our shortcomings, and that does not feel good. <laughs> but the good news is, we are no longer under the law. And so let's turn to Romans 7, probably the most underquoted book of the Bible. <laughs> That was a joke. That was definitely a joke. <laughs> so, Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body, to bear fruit for death." For now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of spirit, not the oldness of the letter. Or the, uh, the TL, too long didn't read version would be uh, Romans 6, 6 to 7, which is, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has freed us from sin. Now, that's pretty cut and dry to me. Jesus did it. He covered it. He paid all of our charges. He covered the tab. Um, not only has our past charges been paid for, but so too our future mistakes as well, which we most definitely will make, I assure you. Now, I think C.S. Lewis has a quote in one of his books talking about the good surgeon and how it's so terrifying to to go under surgery. But the only thing more terrifying about going under surgery is going under surgery in a bad surgeon that's only gonna do half the job. <laughs> and so the fact that Jesus is the good surgeon and he's done everything for us, I mean, again, it's, it's pretty powerful. Now, I'm sure some of us might know this information, but we don't fully back it up with our actions. And I am right there with you guys. I do this all the time with a lot of things in my life. But if we're still feeling guilty, we really need to look at our thought process here because by the, because at the end of the day, if I have to choose between God being wrong and me being wrong, I will always choose the latter. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
Now, I don't mean this to come out as harsh or anything. That's just me trying to identify a problem here. And I think it's really needed to really realize the deep problems with our actions and thoughts, not being fully submitted to the reality of God's forgiveness. And are you guys ready for this? By feeling guilt, we are dis defining the terms to be accepted and forgiven. We are saying that Jesus' sacrifice is insufficient for us. The problem is we don't get to determine that price. When we do this, we are actually putting ourselves in the judgment seat. We are putting ourselves where God should be. <laughs> it would be as if someone was suing us and one day a friend of ours settles the suit in private with this person. But in response, instead of thanking our friend and accepting what he did for us, we find the guy who is suing us and try forcing us or try forcing him to take our money. Like, no, 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 here's $100,000. Please take it from me, please. <laughs> we try to define and control who we are instead of submitting and believing who God says we are. We keep living under the law by our actions because we want to tell ourselves we have a stake in our salvation, that our actions can determine our standing with God. We feel that if we only knew sooner, we're just a tiny bit stronger, educated, or educated ourselves just a little more, that we could have done everything right and thus not feel guilty. We feel guilt because we feel like we actually could succeed with our own power, which is the very reason why we don't see the abundance of life that Jesus talks about. Because on our own, we can only fail. We can only see a net loss. But... There is a solution to this problem. <laughs> so if you want to turn, turn with me to John 15. If only I can turn there. <laughs> so verse four says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For a part of me, he can do nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but that is so hard yet so easy at the same time. It's like I'm somebody who loves, loves having my life in control. <laughs> I love trying to do things my own way, but it always blows up in my face. And the fact of just abiding in God can be the hardest and easiest answer out there. Now, what I mainly get from that is definitely to abide and to submit. Or in other words, we really just need to humble ourselves, which again, can be very hard. <laughs> but it's always the root to almost every good thing in life. As soon as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves before God, so much can happen, and we can be so well utilized by God. But in Matthew 10, 10, 39, he says, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. All we have to do is to accept that we have been delivered, not by our own means, but by Jesus, and that when he died, we died with him. It's not just, the blood isn't just covering our past experiences, we literally died to sin. Like, we don't have to constantly be coming back for the blood. Like, we, are, we have been dealt with. That we have been completely dealt with. And praise God for that. <laughs> it 
if we humble ourselves and accept and accept that fact, we are on the path to life in abundance. Not only the path, like, I mean, we have it. It's there. It's so freeing to realize that if we don't constantly have to be feeling guilt and shame about our mistakes, it is so, <laughs> it is so freeing to realize that we don't have to be constantly be feeling guilt and shame about our mistakes. And by this, I'm not saying that we shouldn't listen to the Holy Spirit when he corrects us. Don't get me wrong. That's definitely a thing. Um, but, our, but our response should be of thankfulness and humility, not of guilt. I mean, I kind of wrote this down, just something along the lines of, thank you, God, for opening my eyes in this area of my life. Thank you for the grace you have given me. Give me the strength to watch, walk out your correction in my life, for I know what you want for me is good. Um, Watchman Nee is a, uh, he was a minister in China in the first half of the 1900s. And he has this line in his book that so deeply registered with me. And he says that God's greatest act of grace is his discipline. And like, for some reason I had this thought in my head for a long time that, you know, God, God just tolerates us. He barely leaves the pearly gates open for us. Like Pastor Paul or uh, St. Paul has to come at the closing shift and kind of open up the back door to let me in. <laughs> but he doesn't just tolerate us. The fact that he corrects us is for our own good and for those of others. It reminds me of a father like properly correcting his kids to be well-rounded adults. So too the Holy Spirit guides us to be mature members of the body as well as children of God. And by ignoring that correction, we're only hurting ourselves and I believe feeling guilt is just the wrong way about it. My friend Andrew Witt said something that I thought was actually pretty useful um, when I was talking about this message with him and he said, is God's correction making us closer to God or further away from him? And if you want to turn with me to John 6.37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. And in Romans 8, 33 through 35 and 37 through 39, it says this, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the only one who justifies. Who is the one who, condemn, who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather he who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who, is also, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us? from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, maybe famine, nakedness, peril, the sword? We jump down to uh, 37 here. Or, uh, yeah, 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I think so often when we feel guilt, we are really running away from God and trying to hide ourselves. And I, that's just not what God wants for us. He wants us to come to him. Um, something that kind of comes to mind are two stories. You have the fall with Adam and Eve. And it was always interesting to me about how God like, asks a question, but it's not like an accusatory question. I mean, 
when Adam and Eve are hiding, he's all like, where are you guys? It's not that he didn't know, but he's, he's calling something to us. He wants us to react a certain way. It's all like seeing a kid get into a giant you know, bowl of pudding, and he's pudding all over his face. And, you, and the parent asks, did you eat the pudding? <laughs> it's like, it's not that the parent doesn't know that they ate the pudding, but they're trying to call something out on us. Or, or when Saul is on the road to Damascus, and God shows himself to me and he says, why are you persecuting me? It's not even like an accusatory thing. It's he's trying to call something out in us. Now, I think that's a pretty good frame of mind to go about it, which is when we feel conviction or correction, we should be coming towards God and leaning into him, not leaning away from him. All this to say is that so much of our pain is caused by our own doing and ourselves. Now, I could go on for a little while if I you know, maybe did a little more research and had more time <laughs> about the, uh, the thief in that first half of the passage of John 10.10. 10. And I always read that as, you know, Satan, right? It's like, that's, a, that's the easy answer to that. But I was talking with, uh, with Bill Boylan for a couple weeks about this. And after reading it more, it almost strikes me as more in context that Jesus was really talking about religious leaders that keep on placing us under the law and keeping us under a constant transactional relationship with God to which we could never repay the debt ourselves. But when Jesus talks about picking up our cross and walking in faith every day, it really is to humble and submit ourselves to what God says about us, that we are forgiven, the debt is paid, and that we are no longer under the law that we have no power to change his mind on that. I've talked to so many young people who, uh, who I mean, like I'm not young, <laughs> but who, who feel like they can screw up God's plan for them. They're like, oh, but what if I do this? It's like, who do you think you are that you, that you can screw up what God has for you? <laughs> so all we have to really do is to submit what we say, believe, and judge about ourselves. And that's where life in abundance is.